0: Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Refuge Church Podcast. What you're about to listen to are the teachings from our Christmas Eve Eve service from December 23rd. If you want to experience our music and worship, you can find all that on our Facebook and our YouTube. But what you're about to hear is Pastor Brian and Pastor David share readings on the themes from Advent of joy, hope, and love. Then I have the privilege and the honor of teaching about our Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9-6 says, For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These words that were spoken centuries ago still echo with relevance and hope in our hearts today. Thank you for listening, and Merry Christmas from all of us here at Refuge.
1: Good evening. Welcome. Happy holidays. That's right. I said it in church. Happy Holidays! Every December, every year, we have two big but very different celebrations happening. We have the holiday of Christmas filled with Santa Claus and people bringing dead trees into their house and cluttering up with lights and stuff and peppermint spice lattes. We have the holiday... And we have the holy day. You realize those words are related, right? Holiday, and we have the holy day. And the holy day is filled with, well, this. This coming together. This is our eighth Christmas together as a church family. We've been through two major hurricanes. We've been through COVID. We've been through a shift in how the church operates. And yet we're still here trying to do this. Why? Because of love incarnate, love divine, born to suffer, born to save. And so we thought after eight years as a church, we would try to do a traditional Advent series. And so if you've been here the last four weeks, that's what we've done. We've walked through hope, we've walked through love and joy, and tonight we'll walk through peace. We're doing the whole bit, lighting the candles, everything, the true liturgical Advent service. Because for many of us, Christmas is sacred. But I don't want us to discount the secular part of Christmas. Because it does serve a purpose. Right now, nearly every person in America and countless across the globe are looking forward to one day. Monday. Monday's Christmas, right? (laughs) Monday. December 25th, that special day. Everybody looking forward, no matter if you're Christian, non-Christian, secular, sacred, everybody looking forward to that one day. And so what's cool is no matter if you show up to a church service like this or show up to the Edison Mall, the holy parts of the holiday are unavoidable. And let's be honest, if there's a place that needs some hope, it is the Edison Mall. Amen? (laughs) So, I want you to just listen to some deep theological sermons that were preached this week at the food court of Edison Mall. Listen to these. Somebody said, Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Another one on the speaker came up and said, Word of the Father, now in flesh. Appearing. That is deep theology. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light. Or the prayer, be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Or maybe it's joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Some good theology. Those are some deep messages. And so whether people have realized it or not in this season, in a world that feels so fragmented and hurried, We have these lyrics reminding us of a child in a humble major who brings hope, who embodies love, who radiates joy, and who promises peace. And so won't you stand? We're going to worship that king as we sing joy to the world together tonight. Advent is an opportunity to confront darkness, not with despair, but to actively seek and to find hope. Some of you know this story, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was an American poet in the late 1800s. His wife was named Fanny. Together, they had five children. In July of 1861, Fanny was trimming their seven-year-old daughter's hair. She wanted to preserve some of the daughter's curls, and so she was going to put it into hot wax to seal it. As she was doing that, a gust of wind came through an open window. The hot wax blew onto her dress, and it caught fire. She ran into Henry's study, where she attempted to put out the flames with Henry. Henry suffered severe burns on his arms and his face, but his love of his life died the next morning. And because of his own injuries, Henry was unable to even attend her funeral. And so shortly thereafter, as you can imagine, he fell into a deep clinical depression. And so the following Christmas, this poet, Henry, wrote these words. He says, how inexpressibly sad are the holidays. Maybe somebody feels that way here tonight. A year later, he says, a merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. His pain was unrelenting. To make matters worse, two years later, our country goes into a civil war, and Longfellow's son enlisted into the Union Army, and he was severely wounded. He ultimately survived, but faced a grueling recovery, paralysis, and was severely disabled for the rest of his life. That Christmas, that year, Longfellow, then a 57 year old widowed father of five children, the Otis who was nearly paralyzed, because his country had been fighting in a war against itself, wrote a poem to capture the dissonance of his heart. You may know this when it goes like this <clears throat> I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. But as the war raged on, he continued to write. He says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. For hate is strong. It mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. This poem, it vacillates between resolve and despair. Despair much like a lot of our lives do. We can feel that tension, that duality, that conflict in his heart and mind. But as this poet wrestles with his personal grief and his country that is in a national crisis, somehow he concludes the poem with hope. He says, Then peeled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Optimism is a belief that the future will be better based on the positive you see around you. It's kind of the glass half full thing, you've heard that before. Optimism is naive. No matter how optimistic you are, suffering will still happen. No matter how optimistic we are, death is still inevitable. But hope is different. Hope is not optimism. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is expecting fully that someone outside our mess will step in and intervene. The Hebrew word for hope is tikvah. Tikvah is used for another Hebrew word. That word is rope. Hope is... And rope, the same Hebrew word, making hope something that we can hold on to when everything else feels lost. And so in the Christmas story, hope for this world was born in a manger. And then on the cross, yet again the hate was strong. It marked and mocked hope. But three days later, hope triumphantly declared, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. And so take hold of that hope tonight. The assurance that even in the darkest of moments, there is a rope of hope to hold on to as we continue. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if
2: I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And love. And the greatest of these is love. You know, they say that smiling is a universal language. Look to your neighbor and just smile at them and see if they'll smile at you back. Because it shows happiness. See, everybody's laughing. Look how contagious that is. Because it shows happiness, contentment, joy, and hope. But I think that we can all agree that the greatest of faith, hope, and love is also a universal language. Love. When we think about love, we often think about romance, falling in love. We think about the love that a parent passes along to a child. A grandparent passes along to their grandchild. Our mind goes to the most familiar love scenarios. Two people falling in love a marriage ceremony, the birth of a child, the birth of a child, that is what we are celebrating here tonight, the birth of a child in an ordinary, most unconventional place for a child to be born. We see love being born in an ordinary barn over 2,000 years ago. He came to be the ultimate proof of the greatest and only commandment that he gave us. And that is to love. He was born to rescue us. He was born to save us. He humbled himself to be like us, to dwell with us, and to show us that he gets us. We celebrate this baby who came to this world to show love preach, love, command, love, and ultimately become the greatest love by giving himself up for each of us on the cross so that we can experience this divine love for an eternity. And when he was born in this barn, in this stable, the shadow of the cross was before him. The shadow of the cross would follow him his entire life Life, The shadow of the cross, the cross itself, would be the ultimate proof of love, the ultimate gift of love that we have been given. He was born to show us love, to command us to love. He was born to sacrifice himself. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. No matter what we say, no matter what we do, no matter what we believe, we are all bankrupt without love. We gather here tonight to celebrate love. And love has a name. His name is Jesus. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ Is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. Love has a name. His name is Jesus. Let's stand as we continue to worship.
0: Good evening. My name is Nicole. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. And Isaiah 9-6 says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace for some of us in the room tonight we know this scripture to be old testament prophecy we know isaiah was a prophet and we know that he is prophesying of the coming messiah that he is proclaiming the birth of jesus for some of us in the room we know that this is a bible verse that gets read at christmas time because it's obviously about dear lord baby jesus For others of us in the room, we've never heard this verse. And if we have, we certainly don't remember it because we don't even know what prophecy is. We don't know who Isaiah is. And we probably couldn't find the book of Isaiah in the Bible to save our life. Some of us may be some kind of mix of all three. And wherever you fall tonight, it's not better. It's not worse. It's not good. It's not bad. It's simply the beauty of this church of misfits. If you're visiting with us tonight, if this is your first time or you haven't been with us in quite some time, refuge is a safe place for all people. It's a safe place for people to explore and to search for and to learn about faith. It's also a safe place for people to restore their faith in Jesus and his church. I would say that I fall somewhere in the mix of the first two categories. I know that this verse is Old Testament prophecy. I have some kind of grasp on Old Testament text. I know who Isaiah is, and I also know that this is a Christmas verse. And because of my many years of growing up in church, Christmas Eve services, the Christmas recitals, performances, and plays, Isaiah 9-6 has become somewhat ordinary to me. And in the 21st century, in the year of our Lord, 2023, it's easy to miss the point of Old Testament scripture. It's easy to not fully grasp the weight of these words to their intended audience. My fiance and I, Annika, we have been watching The Crown. We still have the second half of the last season to go, but we have been watching it from the beginning. If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix, 10 out of 10, recommend it's a really cool biopic, fictionalized, nonfiction story of Queen Elizabeth's time as queen, all 400 years of it. <laughs> And my big takeaway from The Crown, my the thing that I have figured out in watching six seasons of The Crown is that I have absolutely no idea how the royal family works. I have no idea about monarchy. I have no idea about their government. I always thought that Queen Elizabeth was the most powerful woman on the planet. You would think kings, queens, princes, and princesses could do whatever the heck they wanted, but no, not so much. And that's uh, what my takeaway from The Crown has been. And being an American, so far removed, removed from how their government works and how monarchy works and how, their, how everything is structured, I don't fully grasp how it works. I don't understand it. And I watched for entertainment purposes, not education, so I still have no idea. And I say this because for modern day readers of Isaiah 9-6, as you and I are, we are so, from remo- so far removed from the culture and the context and the people that these words were first spoken to. It's easy to not fully grasp what it truly meant to the ordinary people who first heard these words. To hear that a wonderful counselor was coming implies that he would be wise beyond all earthly wisdom. He would not need the counsel and advice of royal advisors that earthly flawed uh, kings had relied on in the past. Saying he was a mighty God would be associating this child with divinity, that his strength, his power and authority would be God's authority. An everlasting father would be a king who ruled to serve and protect, but also provide for his people. A father whose love and kindness was unconditional and unending. And then a prince of peace. This was wild. A wild concept for people living in a perpetual state of conflict, strife, and instability. Some prophet, some dude is coming along and and promising them that a prince of peace is coming to bring stability. This concept is something that they had yet to experience. Their kings at this point in time ruled with violence and oppression. And now they're being told that a prince of peace is coming. That would be known not for conquest and war and violence. But would be known for his love, his mercy, his justice, and his peace. This concept of peace that Isaiah is speaking of is not just physical or political peace. The peace that Isaiah speaks of is complete restoration of what has been broken. Restoration of a broken people from the inside out. Restoration of broken relationships in community. But more importantly, restoration of a broken relationship between God and his people. This word here is shalom. And unlike our English translation and our English understanding of the word peace, shalom carries a bigger punch. It carries a heavier weight than just peace. It speaks of wholeness and completeness. It's not just absence of unrest and striving and weariness. It is wholeness of mind, body, and soul. And in the 8th century BC, when this prophecy was given, when Isaiah spoke these words, all sorts of people heard it. Some were religious leaders who knew who Isaiah was, knew exactly what he was talking about, knew that he was talking about and pro- prophesying about the coming Messiah. Some people knew who prophets were, but didn't really know what their prophecies meant, really didn't have an understanding of the way prophets worked. And others had no clue what a prophet was, who Isaiah was, and had no idea or concept about a God who wanted to have a relationship with humanity no matter their rank station education or how seemingly ordinary they were this offer of peace was for all people fast forward ahead to 400 plus years in luke chapter two it says that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to me, That was the angel coming down and the radiance of the gl- Lord's glory surrounded them and they were afraid. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying <clears throat> in a manger on Tuesday. December 22nd, presents will be gone from under the trees. Stockings will be empty. And our recycling bins will be full of boxes, paper bags, and wrapping paper. Please recycle. And we will feel no guilt on Tuesday, December 26th, for eating leftover Christmas cookies for breakfast. And if somebody makes you feel guilty, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. Tell them that Pastor Nicole has blessed it and sanctified it. The 27th, you're on your own. But the 26th, have at it. The last time I spoke, I shared that I'm not a a big fan of Christmas. And some of you guys have made fun of me. You've sent me gifts of Scrooge McDuck stomping through the snow. You've poked fun at me. But in all reality, I'm not as grinchy or Scroogey as curmudgeon as I made it out to be. I actually really do enjoy parts of Christmas. And this year I get to experience Christmas as a parent and I get to wake up on Christmas morning and experience Christmas morning through the eyes and the joy of my son. And uh, I love giving presents. I love seeing people's faces when they open the gifts I get them. I love my family. I love spending time with them. And I love a good peanut butter cookie with a Hershey kiss in the middle of it. Like, that is just heaven on earth. And if you want a way to elevate it, put a Reese's cup in the middle of it. Like, But I've worked in healthcare for the last 11 years, and in those 11 years, I have either worked or been on call for all the major holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day. Last year, I was on call on Christmas Eve, and literally, when our Christmas Eve service ended, my phone rang, and I went one way to the hospital, and my family went another way to Christmas Eve dinner, and I actually missed Christmas Eve dinner with my family. This year, I'm on call on Christmas Day. So my family and I, we have made plans to do Christmas with our respective families to make sure everybody gets the time we want to spend with them. We've made arrangements that on the off chance that I get called into work, we, can, we have a plan in place. So through the years of working holidays, rearranging holidays, missing holidays, December 25th has become an ordinary day to me. And I don't say that negatively. Because ordinary is okay. Because ordinary is where God shows up. Our shepherds that we read about in Luke were very, very ordinary people. Being a shepherd in this time was the most ordinary, mundane, unassuming, everyday job a person could have. Doing the most ordinary job on the third shift while the world is asleep on an ordinary, silent night. Just very, very very ordinary. We put expectations on Christmas time. We want to experience God. We want to experience the divine. We want to be moved by music and worship. And we put the massive expectations on the pastor who has to preach the Christmas Eve message. I put huge expectations on myself for this message. And the desire to experience God is beautiful The desire to come and worship corporately, that's beautiful. And to experience God in this place is beautiful and it is sacred. In Isaiah, it says this, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and she will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The good news of great joy, that's for all people, is that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Uh, The shepherds were not biblical scholars, they were not religious leaders, not royalty, not military, probably weren't educated, they were not powerful people, they were just very ordinary people. And people had long awaited for the Messiah, 400 plus years they had waited for their wonderful counselor, their mighty God, their everlasting father, and their prince of peace. They were expecting something spectacular, a grand entrance, an announcement fit for a prince. They were expecting parades and processions of epic proportions. Their expectations for the arrival of the Messiah was for something extraordinary. Yet their king, their prince of peace, was born in an ordinary place to ordinary parents and announced to very ordinary shepherds. Shepherds who we know little to nothing. In fact, we know nothing about these shepherds. We don't know their names. We don't know how big the flocks were they were taking care of. We don't even know how many there were. That's how ordinary they were, just nondescript shepherds every child's nativity is like well how many shepherds were there i don't know how many extra kids we have 11 then there were 11 shepherds that's how that's how we scientifically narrow down how many shepherds there were how many kids cannot sing or are too scared to do anything else they get to be a shepherd and so being so far removed from this time it's really hard to appreciate that these ordinary shepherds lived ordinary lives just like you and i do so, I want to take some time to introduce you to some shepherds tonight. One, a widowed shepherd who took up working third shift so she can provide for her family. Yes, women can be shepherds too. She took, yeah. I don't want to be a shepherd though, but I like to know that I can be a shepherd. If you need 11, I can be one. A widowed shepherd who took up working the third shift so she can provide for her family and be able to take care of them during the day. A shepherd suffering from the inner turmoil and demons of clinical depression, can't eat, can't sleep, barely having enough energy to go out and work, but they're working the third shift and thank God that you don't have to talk to a lot of people on the third shift. Anybody ever work third shift? There's no one to talk to on the third shift, just yourself. I did it for years and it's probably why I'm crazy. There's an introverted shepherd that's struggling to make friends and connections and build relationships. No spouse, no kids, no parents to go home to. Just an empty house, void of laughter and love and joy, just filled with loneliness. A shepherd who feels inadequate because he's just a shepherd. He's not a priest He's not a wise man. He's not a pastor. He's not a servant of the king. He's just a lowly shepherd stuck on the night shift, feeling left out, feeling forgotten, unimportant, and useless. Ordinary people being very, very ordinary. But the good news of great joy is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So the good news of great hope for the widowed shepherd that is living in despair because her husband is gone, there is hope, there is present that God brings light into dark situations, not just offering a way to endure the despair, but lighting a path forward. The good news of great joy for the shepherd struggling to make ends meet is that God is with him, is with his family and gives him permission to enjoy his life, that God is with him. The good news of great love for the lonely shepherd is that God is with them, reminding them that they are never truly alone, that there is a deep abiding relationship and companionship that transcends human understanding, a relationship offering unconditional, unwavering, and unending love. The good news of the advent for the shepherd feeling insignificant and unimportant is that God is with them. And they have immense value in the eyes of their God. The good news of great peace for the shepherds suffering from depression is that God is with them, offering a comforting presence in the darkest of hours, a prince of peace that brings wholeness, completeness, and restoration to mind, body, and soul. For a child is born to us and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A Wonderful Counselor offering us wisdom and hope. A Mighty God offering unconditional, sacrificial love, becoming flesh and dwelling among us and living with us. An Everlasting Father that offers us joy and contentment and happiness. A Prince of Peace. That does not offer an end to turmoil or conflict, but offers wholeness, healing, restoration, a shalom, and relationship and access to this Prince of Peace that brings harmony to mind, body, and soul. So hear me, friends, when I say this, having a relationship with the Lord is not a fix-all. It's not a heal-all. Because peace is not necessarily the absence of conflict, of turmoil, of pain, of anxiety, of depression, or loneliness. Peace does not mean that all of these things just suddenly disappear. It is the shalom that Isaiah talked about that is completeness and wholeness in relationship with Emmanuel, God with us. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace has been born in Bethlehem. Did you catch the part? Did you catch the refuge mantra within scripture? Good news of great joy for who? All People, The good news of great joy for all people. So this means the widowed shepherd, the stressed out shepherd, the lonely shepherd, the anxious shepherd, the depressed shepherd, the left out shepherd, the grieving shepherd, the broken shepherd, the orphan shepherd, the childless shepherd, the closeted shepherd, the poor shepherd, the forgotten shepherd, the angry shepherd, the rebellious shepherd, the weary shepherd, the busy shepherd, the doubting shepherd, the unbelieving shepherd, all shepherds, All ordinary people. This was not a royal procession. This was not an extravagant entrance or announcement. This was Emmanuel coming into an ordinary moment in time to ordinary people to offer love, joy, hope, and peace right in the middle of their ordinary life. God shows up in the ordinary God shows up in the ordinary. Jesus is Emmanuel in the ordinary. So what does your ordinary life look like? Is it working, teaching, driving, cooking, cleaning, parenting, counseling? Most of us live in a day-to-day survival mode, searching for a glimpse of divine. We want something big and something extravagant. We want that big sign a big parade, a big processional. God is big. Why can't he do something big for me? But Jesus shows up in our ordinary life. Emmanuel, the presence of love, hope, joy, and peace right in the middle of the ordinary. So this Advent season, this Christmas season, this Christmas Eve Eve, Will you accept God's invitation, the invitation to see a child snugly wrapped in cloth lying in a manger so terribly ordinary? Would you accept his invitation to rest, to breathe, to enjoy Christmas, to enjoy the next couple of days with your families and your children, to hope, to hope for an ordinary 2024, to love God and people more deeply? Would you accept God's invitation as the Prince of Peace to find wholeness, completeness, healing, restoration in an extraordinarily ordinary manger? I'm going to invite the band to come. In the moment you've all been waiting for, we're going to light our candles. I'm going to ask David if he'll come help me. But as we begin to light these candles, one, please be careful. Don't burn your neighbor. Don't burn the children that are running around because you feel like they've been misbehaving. Look, parents, I know that you, you're, you're not, I have loved it. I have loved hearing kids as I preach. I have loved every minute of it. You might feel stressed out, but I have loved it. So as we move forward with our candlelight service and we reflect on the words of Silent Night, would you find peace and solace in silent night holy night all is calm all is bright round young virgin mother and child holy ordinary infant so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace in this ordinary silent night would you please stand grab your candles and sing with us